0: This week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. DOE budget saves computing but skimps on research. And Microsoft expands role of FPGAs. It's this week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed with top 500org I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, this week in HPC, we keep coming back around to this topic of the U.S. federal budget for supercomputing, and there's a new Department of Energy budget out now, and it's preserved a lot of the Spending on supercomputing, especially around the Exascale project, but there have been some cuts in some other areas that tend to go along with supercomputing and how we use them.
1: Yeah, it's somewhat of a mixed message there. Like you said, the the infrastructure side of supercomputing was preserved, so the the pre-exascale projects uh, look like they're going to get the funding, and the future. Exascale work uh, was preserved and actually got the influx of funding that it needed to sort of proceed remember uh, Starting at FY 16. There wasn't much money there because that that effort was just starting up but uh, coming now into 2017 and 18 that's going to need money and that money did appear in this congressional request for for funding
0: so, how does it look as we head out toward Exascale? We've got the pre-Exascale systems that are still dedicated for uh, uh, deployment at the Department of Energy labs, although uh, Nicole Hemsoth at the Next Platform noted that there wasn't any specific message of Aurora. Do we read anything into that? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think, and at the funding level, there's. I don't think
1: that's a problem. It looks like uh, the Argonne and the DOE or somebody decided that um, that system was not exactly what they wanted uh, there was some wording in there in the budget request that they're looking for uh, an architecture that was more geared towards machine learning or at least added some machine learning capability into that which to me suggests that the original Knights Hill platform wasn't going to do it so maybe they're going to wait for Intel's future Lake Crest product, which uh, is going to incorporate the Nirvana technology, which is for machine learning. And that probably would delay that Aurora thing. And that's probably why it wasn't, um, or that's, that could be a reason why it wasn't called out in the FY 2018 uh, budget, since that, that'll be down the line a little. Bit. But, but that's all speculation. There might have been some other problem in there. Maybe Intel had some problem, or maybe Argonne is thinking of something else entirely. Who knows? But it was an interesting development, and, and props to Nicole out there for for catching that. It's uh, an interesting development. We'll have to follow that.
0: You know, I think the more relevant thing here is when we get to Exascale itself, and this this budget does affirm that we're looking at the original Exascale systems in 2022, 2023, that time frame, but formally incorporating. Um, the the novel architecture that they added in to be the first exascale computer in the United States by 2021, which is still behind at least the Chinese, if not uh, other countries, but does move up the U.S. timeline. Now, what I have a problem with here is that the whole point of the word exascale to begin with was that you weren't going to just put out an exaflop however you could. And and that's why the US was taking longer. So now we're going to move something in with a new architecture. Um and and I don't know what the software ecosystem is behind this, but do are we still emphasizing X's scale over exaflops or are those words just synonyms now?
1: Well, at the level of these budget requests, there's 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 no uh there's no nuance here. I mean, I'm guessing from you know behind the scenes the, the DOE is telling the story to the administration, the people that that aren't quite uh, in the in the know, and they're saying we need this for these application re- reasons. But there's there's sort of no uh, I, I don't think understanding at at the administration level or even at the at the management level of the DOE. Uh, about what these things are so uh i think the doe the in the trenches here, they want this application performance at uh, exaflop level, but...
0: Now, I uh, agree with that. I mean, the best definition of exascale to me came from Chris Willard at Intersect 360 Research where he said it's a <laughs> it's an exaflop with an application running on it at that level, right? Then, then yeah. you're really <laughs> talking about exascale, you know, some, some real-world application beyond LINPAC, and I think we're going to have those. But so if the budget is now... Supporting these exascale supercomputers, what got cut?
1: Well, the things that really got cut were the DOE programs that did domain specific research, so things like um, you know the environmental and biological research programs, the physics research programs, um, climate research p- climate research, fusion energy even basic energy science research and, and including the computing science research programs as well. So those, those got got slashed by various percentages. I mean, the, the biology and environmental uh, part of that got slashed by 42%. That almost got cut in half. Uh, The others were got cut by a quarter. Um, so those were pretty severe cuts. Um, you know, especially when you consider the, I mean, the supercomputing side got bumped, but those were like in the, in the area of like 10 to 15%. So in a sense, and I wrote this in the the write up I did for top 500.org, it's, you're sort of cutting off the demand at the federal level, at least for, for supercomputing, what you would use these systems for by cutting those research programs. I mean, there's, not going to be as much demand in a certain sense on the uh, on the user side but you're still going and building bigger and bigger supercomputers to 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 run but not not as much uh, application side demand uh, because of this.
0: Yeah, I I think that is a concern because that's where you're really talking about what software development is going to be going on at at the exascale level. Now, Michael, you mentioned the incorporation of AI into these supercomputing plans. I think the big distinction there between the AI supercomputers that we're seeing versus the traditional HPC supercomputers that we're seeing is all around the topic of precision. Uh, with some of the biggest technological differentiation there has been on the compute side, particularly with regards to traditional HPC being done at double precision flops and then the, the AI moving down to single precision or even half precision with just less numerical accuracy because you're only approximating things anyway. However, this has gotten interesting because there's it's really brought about an increasing debate in the supercomputing community about how much we ought to be relying on double precision flops to begin with. Uh, Bill Ryder posted an interesting blog in his regularized singularity blog, which is at wjryder.wordpress.com. You can also find the link in my Twitter feed, at Addison Snell, if you view my replies to conversations. This has gotten a lot of discussion on Twitter and elsewhere. He wrote a blog called What We Still Don't Get About Numerical Error, where he argued that we really need to be doing more work on the models themselves that for a lot of the HPC industry, we're we're doing very accurate double precision calculations on models that aren't that good to begin with. So, you right. know, we'd be better off instead of spending more money on more double precision flops, put the uh, put that effort into. The models. And I think that's an, an interesting and valid point. From my perspective, I think we need both. I think we need better models and we need better, faster supercomputers. So, you know, I'd like to see work going on on both sides there that the DOE is investing in things like better numerical methods, better linear algebra uh, libraries, things like that.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, like I said, the computing research uh, element of that for the DOE got cut. And that's where Probably some of that that work would end up. Now, it's not the only organization doing that. Certainly, there's universities doing that as well, but that, those universities are being funded. Uh, some of that's being funded by the NSF, and they got cut as well, and we should mention uh, as well as other agencies in the federal government, the NIH and uh, NOAA, the, the climate research um, entity, climate and weather research. So... Uh, across the board cuts as far as uh, research as well and fortunately some of those things that you were talking about are going to fall under that uh, so in that sense it's not very good news for the supercomputing community since the demand is sort of to, to my mind is what sort of drives uh, sort of the innovation at a, at a fundamental level. It, it, it drives, certainly it drives sales because uh, you know, you need more and more compute power as this research expands. It's not like the DOE supercomputers are going to, you know, go unused. That they're already oversubscribed. But it it could fundamentally change the way those systems are being used and who uses them. So it's it's sort of something to watch here. But you know, we should remind people now that this is a uh, this budget is just a request. It'll be modified substantially. Uh, As it goes through Congress, but some of these things might end up sticking just the de-emphasis on on research um, uh, to some degree might come to pass, but probably not at the levels that, that we're seeing here.
0: I think the, the application gap here is is just a, yes. a sticky issue that's not going yeah. away. And my guess is that by the time the first exascale systems come out, they are going to be systems that are hitting an exaflop, and people are going to be saying that the applications are lagging behind. And by the time we get to zeta-flops, we really have to fix this and catch up the software to the hardware. It's just every new prefix, we have the same conversation.
1: Yeah, it does seem that way, and yeah, it, it, uh, that's been uh, traditional. The, the flops are way out ahead of the applications, so I, I think we're going to continue to see that problem.
0: All right, Michael, also this week in HPC, another story I want to cover quickly is Microsoft's expanding the roles of FPGAs, which they have deployed throughout their Azure cloud.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've covered this in the past. They had they basically put an FPGA in every single server in their Azure cloud to support essentially inferencing uh, that that they're doing in internally for Microsoft to support a lot of their products like Skype and Cortana and things like that. But uh, during the recent Build conference, they talked about what their what their you know future plans for FPGAs are and their they're expanded quite a bit. They're not just gonna use the FPGAs for inferencing. It sounds like they're gonna start tapping them for training as well, as well as making them available to uh, the public cloud customers to do things like inferencing and training. Uh, just sort of analogous to what we just talked about for Google that they were uh, switching their TPUs over to add training as well as doing, uh, making them available for their pl- public cloud customers.
0: Well, you you and top500.org have the headline, Microsoft plans for FPGAs in Azure should worry traditional chip makers. I'm interested in your view on that because FPGAs have been around for decades. We've had them in HPC. They never really took off because they're hard to program at a wide level. What do you think shifted now?
1: Well, one of the things that shifted is there's been a a renewed interest in doing them for things like machine learning, and especially by Microsoft, which has made a huge investment. It's got the biggest uh, deployment of FPGAs in the world, I think. Um, It's basically got, uh, at at the time it deployed them, it said it had an exa-ops worth of of FPGAs in there. Now they're saying they have multi-exa-ops of uh, FPGAs. So that's a lot. That's that in itself is just a big draw on on the on the uptake of FPGAs but there's also been other developments i mean Intel with Altera is now pushing them uh, with the Altera buys now pushing them as well and trying to expand them Xilinx itself the other big FPGA company is also pushing into into some of these hyperscale applications as well uh, and and the tools are improving so if you see a company like Microsoft offering them as sort of a an a cloud appliance to to users, that's going to simplify the use case uh, as well, especially for specialized areas like uh, machine learning. It's going to make them easier to use because the, there's going to be a, a software stack on top of them that people won't have to delve into, into Verilog to use these things. That's going to change the equation, I think, uh, quite a bit. And you know this is a progression we've seen i think microsoft is is out ahead of this and it's uh if they keep on this track and and make this a a going concern it's it's really going to change things
0: Well, for machine learning, I agree with you. And for the generalized case of hyperscale and to the extent that you could use them for things like search or other hyperscale applications, I agree with you there too, because a limited amount of development can then touch a wide range of applications. But where I disagree with you is in terms of the the, the general nature of it beyond that. I think they're still difficult to program for specific applications. I don't think it'll move over into HPC just because it's, it's got uh, a stack in the cloud, nor do I think it should really particularly worry a traditional chip maker because the difference between this and the Google TPU story we covered previously is that Microsoft isn't designing these FPGAs themselves. They're buying them from Intel Altera, at which point it just becomes a a competitive market. Now it's a young market and it's a competitive market and people are all trying to move on it, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden Microsoft is uh is, is cutting off the supplier competing with its suppliers. It's a new market that people are going to uh compete for.
1: Well, in that sense you're right. But when I was talking about traditional chip makers, I'm talking about uh companies like 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 Intel and and, and Nvidia. And others that are building CPUs and GPUs, and the fact that uh, but
0: Intel's selling the FPGA also,
1: right? But uh, so so Xilinx. I mean, that's that's just a commodity. There, they could. I mean, Microsoft could as well switch to an, another technology like Xilinx or even some other smaller firm, or 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 yeah. I mean, it's 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 more volatile. I mean, certainly Intel has covered its bases here a little bit by buying Altera. That's that's certainly true, but. Consider that Intel on the uh, The processor side the traditional processor side is building nirvana-enabled chips uh, and and Xeon Phi chips Targeted for the machine learning market and even though it didn't intend for its FPGAs to be used for that uh, In in any sense that if Microsoft does this it's going to cut those sales and certainly for NVIDIA it's it's going to cut into that business as well because the GPUs are certainly right now sort of the de facto standard for machine learning training. So uh, yeah, the relationship with Intel is sort of complicated. But in in a sense, if you look in the broader market with Nvidia, uh, Intel to the limited extent, and AMD and some of the other chip makers, it it seems like the FPGA uh, plan that Microsoft puts forward is going to Cut out some of those, uh, some of those opportunities.
0: Yeah, but it's an aggregate market, right? And they're still buying the chips for something. It, you, yeah. You've just, you've, you've introduced this new market and you said it might be served by one product rather than by another product, but the, the chip makers are still selling into this market. So I, yeah. I think it's an opportunity. I don't think they're worried about losing a whole lot of volume. I think it's only upside on the opportunity level. Now it's going to have winners and losers. Anyone right. who's a loser doesn't get the volume, but, uh, but that's that's no different than any other CPU-based market. To say, well, I could dump these CPUs and buy these other CPUs. There's always a risk of that in any kind of competitive market.
1: Yeah, it definitely is an opportunity for the Altera business under Intel and uh, Xilinx, uh, if, if this goes forward, as Microsoft wants it to. But for for the other segments of the market, I, I think it's going to roil that uh that part of the space uh if if this uh becomes as successful as Microsoft wants it to be uh
0: well, so. that's true. And that that is aligned with the industry dynamics we've been talking about, that there are more computational or architectural options in the market than there have been. And Hyperscale continues to help accelerate that by validating these other architectures for certain workloads. So it pushes the volume up and gives more people more choices. It's yeah. a very competitive space. And we've been saying that for Two three years now that that uh, the architectural diversity is continuing to increase. That effect it absolutely will have, and and that's something that we're going to just continue to see through this this whole new era of computing in a post Beowulf uh, post Beowulf model.
1: Yeah, it's just fascinating to watch all these uh, all these architectures play out, especially at the hyperscale side, and what effect that's going to have uh, sort of downstream on the rest of it. So it's something we're we're obviously going to be talking about uh, for, the, for the rest of for the rest of this year and
0: going forward. Oh, well, well beyond this year, Michael, too. Yep. All right. Thanks, Michael, for another great podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.